today here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Ben Moore. Say hi to everyone, Ben. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thank you, Mike. Before we get started, let me tell everyone what's coming up on the show next week and over the next few weeks. We have some great shows. Next week, we have on Thursday, we have Janelle Ross. She is the president and CEO of Bob Ross Auto Group up in the Centerville area. She runs both General Motors and Mercedes dealerships. And on Friday, we're going to have a fellow named Les Foltz, who runs a company called Cincinnati Maintenance, which does uh, primarily, I think, carpet and floor care. He's going to talk about some of the proper ways to handle carpets and clean them. And he's going to talk about how to grow a business. Then we're going to have one of the fastest growing companies in town, Integrity Express Logistics. They're going to be on May 9th. We're going to have the president, Jim Steger. They're in the trucking business or the truck truckload business or partial truckload business. Then we're going to have another interesting old friend of mine, uh, Alfonso Conejo, who is the president of the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. That should be an interesting show on May 10th, we have a whole lot more interesting shows coming up later in May. Also in May, we have the Sandler Foundations course starting on May 8th. If you know someone who wants to get an inexpensive introduction to Sandler, we do have a few seats available in that. And on May 22nd, we have the Sandler one-day cold call camp for people who have to pick up a phone and meet people that they've never talked to before, how to get by the gatekeeper, how to get engage prospects in a conversation and how to avoid getting stuck in voicemail jail. Good. Let's talk, Ben, a little bit about your background. You've been the president. Gee, I guess you and I first ran into each other back in 2002 or 2003. It's been a while. Yeah. Your company, Agent Technologies, was founded in 1995. Yes. How did you get the name Agent Technologies? Well, what it comes from is back in 1995, I was working on a a Department of Defense contract where we were doing what's called Intelligent Agents. This is simply software from the AI community, meaning the artificial intelligence, that you design with the capabilities of what it represents in the field. So we're building software that would represent the capabilities of machines, tooling, fixtures, and people. And these pieces of software would actually negotiate and talk amongst itself to develop the optimal schedule. And so what I turned my company into is agent technologies, because that was one of the first projects we were working on, developing this type of uh, intelligent software. Mm-hmm. You have a second company called Niche Consumer Products. What's that all about? Well, as we were continuing to grow in the, um, our continuum and as we were growing, I was getting back involved back into manufacturing. And so one of my buddies who retired from P&G, I'm also a former P&G as well, he wanted to do this manufacturing for a new product development, things like diapers, mitts, applicators. 
And so I got involved with that company, helped continue to grow that company, and ran that one in 2007. And then the next extension was finding a, a niche company to find niche markets for these upstream products you're launching to market. So what, what happens many times with new products are you can get a very nice uh, per-piece cost at very high volumes. Mm-hmm. But when you're just launching a product, what you're talking about are very low volumes and higher per-piece costs. Mm-hmm. So hence, we were trying to find these niche markets for those to be profitable all along that cycle. Because what happens sometimes when larger companies launch products, they're losing money while they're trying to build their volume. And so niche is a, a company we built to find niche markets for these new kind of products so you can learn from the consumer along the way and find markets where you can be profitable all along your, your journey. Mm-hmm. So are you still involved in uh, niche consumer products? Yes, I am. Okay. And you're in the capacity of president there? Yes, I am. Okay. And at Adrian Technologies, your software product, I guess I, I, I first ran into you with, was called XRP, which is a, an online DRM ERP. Tell everyone what ERP means. Well, ERP is Enterprise Resource Planning System, but really we want to think about it is there's a variety of companies like manufacturers that may have some issues managing their inventory issues managing production, and really kicking their arms around everything that's going on in their factory. And so there's a whole series, a basically a $70 billion plus industry called enterprise resource planning that really helps companies provide the software tool set to kind of get their hands around what's all going on in their company. So make sure that jobs are getting in, into the shop, that jobs are getting scheduled properly and executed properly and out the door on, in a timely fashion where you get to keep your customers and continue to grow the relationship. So the reason how that developed is, I'll give a little bit of story. When I first started with that defense contractor back in the 1990s, we were building intelligent software to schedule a, a military factory, if you will. Mm-hmm. So all the tools, tooling, fixtures, machines that the factory had. And so one of the great things that we were doing in that place was we had the software communicating about every single thing. So every single part or part operations, we had software representing. So if I said I needed 100 widgets by Tuesday, I would just put that into the system, and it would propagate through the system, all through the raw materials, and then bring me back this this tremendous three-dimensional function saying, hey, well, because we know the capabilities of our factory and what orders we have already in our factory and our workforce, we can provide you these 50 by Tuesday at this cost and another 50 by Thursday at a, at a much lower cost than the 100 by Tuesday and let you as a customer make the decision if you wanted to do that or not. And so... For a while, some parts of our team, this was an SBR Phase 2 um, project for, for government, Department of Defense. At one time, we are looking at Phase 3 monies of about $40 million or so they were talking about. Never happened. Then we had a member of the group that was kind of going from coast to coast trying to raise about $10 million to really get it kicked off. That really didn't happen as well, too. So I kind of put that down to the side and said, okay, eventually make a little cash. Then maybe go overseas for some low-cost finger power and create this online ERP kind of system. And over time, for doing projects with different clients, we started growing a, a product. Um, that side is called XRP, being the next generation of, of resource planning. So there is sales contact management, CRM involved with it. There's inventory, there's production, some scheduling, some customization. And then the long term was this overall network where companies could communicate and buy and sell online. So we began doing that vision, and the first part is our online software, XRP, at xrpsystem.com. So it's an online software customers can just subscribe to, import their data, and start using, getting benefit to help their company. When uh, did you start marketing it commercially? Uh, around 2008. 
because as we start talking about how our companies grow, um, Agent Technology is a company that I founded in 1995 while I was actually in grad school with a couple of friends, first doing some of this agent work. Then we started really migrating to doing a variety of websites, e-commerce solutions, work process solutions for companies. And as I was really stepping back and looking, uh, we need to have our own product. Okay, so we were doing a lot of these one-off items and talking to a variety of companies, but we need to have our own product so companies can just subscribe to. And as I saw where technology was going, it was going more to online software. Instead of having a software product, I got to send you a CD for you installing your machine. Then sometime later, we have updates and fixes. Got to get those to you if you're willing to pay for them and take time out to install your machine. So having a, a piece of software running on our servers where people just interact through an Internet browser and use that, and when you need to update the software, you update it once in one location, and then everyone gets the benefit because everyone's just interacting through the, their Internet browser to use it, and they're just paying a subscription cost to use it per month. Good. And by the way, what college were you at? I went to the University of Cincinnati, so I'm a proud Bearcat for, for my degrees. Okay, that's great. And the degrees are in? Electrical engineering. Really? Yeah. Once once upon a time, I was in electrical engineering. <laughs> well, I mean, we did, we did, um, during the undergrad, there were a variety of things that we built, but uh, there was some great classes I had in controls and intelligent controls that you see from one of my uh, co-authors that were tremendous. So uh, I like the program at UC, but I do more sales and marketing now than any electrical engineering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why don't you tell our audience what you think your keys to success are? Well, I feel my keys to success are, are simple. Uh, I always say I'm kind of stubborn. So when I latch onto something, I keep going. That is bold very well for me. Because simply put, it's sometimes it's not exactly how smart you are. Sometimes it's, you know, not exactly who you know, what you know, but it's how much effort you're willing to put into something to make it successful. So how many times are you willing to make that call, change that approach to, to get through that gatekeeper and then make that sale? How many times are you willing to test in terms of your marketing? Is this working? What kind of response do you get? Okay, let me try this. What did I learn from that? Let me try something else. So it's really about that persistence that leads to success, where you're always testing something, one thing or another, and then from those tests, you're learning from each of those iterative tests to find something that works. Right. Uh, ben has agreed to take questions from our audience, which will be screening calls th- during the commercial breaks. The number is 646-595-4916. Ben, you live up in uh, Springboro? Springdale. Springdale, okay. I had that wrong. A couple of kids. Tell us uh, a little bit more about uh, your company and, and, and how you got to where you are today. Well, that, that's a longer story, but I, I'll just I first give some you know background. I'm the kind of person that always had some kind of company. Uh, when I was 12, had a lawn cutting business, so had a number of yards um, down the street, around the corner, all around the neighborhood, and my father made me have to pay my own expenses. So all the gas I was using a lot more, all the um, bags I was using, uh, and then I have to pay uh, once or twice a year to get that lawnmower maintained. So he made me have those expenses. So you started out life as an entrepreneur. Well, at, at 12. I don't know what I was doing around, you know, 5, but at 12. At 12, you know, I've heard that a lot from entrepreneurs. They started some kind of business. Then at uh, then when I was around 1920, I created a company called A&B Enterprises. And we were going to different places, buying products back like statues and, and, and selling those. Um, then while I was in grad school, that's when I started Agent Technologies while I was working for a defense contractor out of, out of Maryland. 
Then also along the way, there's a variety of other things. So I went to P&G for a number of years as well, too. So I got some great learnings, made some great friends there. How long did you stay at P&G? Just five years. I call it long enough just to get profit sharing. Just uh, long enough to get profit sharing. <laughs> but there were some uh, great great opportunities, I mean, because I was a 27-year-old kid with an $8 million budget. So mm-hmm. there was a variety of equipment, helped them really change the way they were doing a lot of software, especially in the controls area. Customized software, and it really helped them as part of a major initiative because around that time they spent over about a billion dollars doing a standardization effort to really make baby care run much more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, it even forced our next competitor to do their own major standardization effort. But it's really helped baby care um, really transition to more of a, a lower-cost operation as they roll out many different initiatives around the globe mm-hmm. um, and move much, much faster with responding to consumer needs. So also along the way, had a couple equity stakes, had a couple uh, equity stake in an e-mental health company, that didn't really go anywhere. I was in charge of the whole technology platform that we built for them. Um, also, I had an equity stake in um, another company where we were doing online printing. So that was doing okay, but we are never able to really scale that because what happens for in a marketplace that we're heading to printers, there's already people that are playing that marketplace, and they started adding the, um, the capabilities to design their corporate identity systems, other things to their systems. So therefore, we didn't have the a way of getting in into that market as much. Also had a another equity stake in a, a salvage operation where companies buying back salvage from a major company, and then we we're putting it online, and then buying buying that and selling that salvage back to suppliers. And so we were doing so well with that, they had to execute our execute our buyout clause. Then there was a equity stake I took in a company called City Watcher, and around 2003 or so, we were the leader in the Midwest installing these IP-based camera systems. And we won a Cincinnati, Cincinnati RFP where we had cameras in College Hill, Over the Rhine, Walnut Hills, and East Walnut Hills. I remember that. Yeah, we, we are. Are the cameras some, still there? Uh, some of the cameras are still there, but I, I am no longer part of that operation. But we won a Cincinnati RFP, a lot of radio shows back then about what we're doing, a lot of articles written. Even we were on the front, above the phone, the Drudge Report uh, one morning. And I remember that morning because I got like 50 requests from all over the U.S. that want to be resellers for our system. As well as the next thing is after I was splitting from my City Watcher partners, a friend of mine who was a former PNGer, he wanted to kick off a company. So we started getting involved. We started getting involved with that company, which we end up, Writing variety of proposals back to a major consumer products company. We won the the project in 2006. Ended up running that company in 2007, and ended up growing that thing to 52 people. And so that's when I moved to the next stage of creating niche consumer products to find niche markets for these kind of upstream consumer products that we're doing. And then on AT, I started really migrating to more of a product company and consulting. Good. We're going to take a short commercial break here, and we're going to learn a little bit more about Ben's product. Did you know that companies with sales contact management systems have 43% more sales per employee? Say what? I said companies with sales contact management systems have 43% more sales, not just sales overall, but sales per employee. A sales contact management system stores all prospect and customer information, as well as each of your employees' contacts with their prospects, and it stores all follow-up tasks. Wow. I could see how that would really increase sales. Exactly. Sales contact management systems shorten sales cycles, allows you to increase the size of each sale, and allows you to keep your customers longer. 
all leading to 43% more sales per employee. So, if you want to increase sales at your company, try XRP, an online sales contact management system. It's available free for 30 days at XRPSystem.com. That's XRPSystem.com. Simply sign up through your internet browser. There's no software to download, and you can start increasing your sales immediately. What's that website again? That's XRPSystem.com. For your free 30-day trial of XRP, an online sales contact management system, sign up today. This is Mike Roth with Sandler Training, finding power and reinforcement. Are you tired of prospects saying, I want to think it over? Are you tired of being an unpaid consultant? Call me at 513-646-6523. On the web at rothconsulting.net. Company owners and sales managers, are you tired of cutting your price to get the deal? Wouldn't you like to have a better way? Wouldn't you want to improve your margins? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 to see if there's a better way for you. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Ben Moore. Ben, if someone wants to talk to you about the XRP software after the show, how do they do that? Well, the first step is always going to the website at XRP system.com and signing up for a free trial. So as soon as they sign up for a free trial, they can immediately see the system, load up their, their data, and get using that. So after they sign up for a free trial, it always triggers our team to um, give them a follow-up call to see if we can assist them. Mm -hmm. uh, and if they want to call you before they will talk to one of your people, how do they do that? Well, there's a toll-free number that, that they can call in order to reach us. They can always call us at 866-561-7756. But always, as I stress, the best way is to go to online to xrpsystem.com and to sign up for a free trial. Good. How many users do you have on XRP today? We have a number of users from um, companies that just use us for the sales contact management to companies that use us for inventory and production management. So all together, roughly? Um, in the basically 30s or so. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not bad. And uh, let's talk a little bit about how you take uh, your product, XRP, uh, to market. What, do, what are you doing to let people know it's available? Well, there's different things that we do for the product to market, but let me first step back and tell you how I take all products to market, mm -hmm. if you will, because uh, years ago we used to try to identify, uh, understand a need for a customer and then try to, or a potential customer, and try to build a prototype and then try to sell that into them. And we found that even when we started getting into them, that what they needed was much different um, than what we had built for them. And so we had to spend more time and more money in building a prototype. So what I've done for a number of years is always go to market with a lead client. So I may work with an individual client, find out, understand their needs, and let them know that, okay, we'll develop this for you for a low cost or, or whatever the case may be. But we'll also get a variety of product learning and knowledge and understanding about what's going to be able to sell to customers two through X. So that's how I always go to market. So even with XRP, the same thing. We have been building a lot of tools for a variety of clients. And as I mentioned, I decided that we really need to have our own product. So I looked at a variety of systems out there where we could either purchase and combine to provide a, a full product, seamless product for an end customer, and none of those products were as seamless as I needed them to be for my customers. Mm -hmm. So we looked at what about the tools, all the different tools we were building for different clients 
and pulling those together in a suite. So we started pulling those tools together and started adding additional tools that clients needed that our customers that we're working with needed in order to build out XRP. And so we continue to market about it, about, yes, we have teams that call. Yes, we have our online newsletter that goes out to about 10,000 subscribers, primarily manufacturers and others, letting them know about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have a series of uh, postcards that go out about XRP, as well as networking and some advertising. So we may sponsor an event, hand out some books, et cetera. Mm-hmm. How many employees do you have today? Well, there's a, a number of employees, but I try to keep my number of central employees smaller and really leverage more more outside contractors. So even on my um, niche sewer products company, instead of having the warehouse ourselves anymore, well, now we have a contract a contract warehouse that has all our pallets, has all our products, that we pay them to scale up how many people they need to scale up and actually assemble our products and get things out the door. Okay. So you're... Uh, some some real and some virtual. You may, virtual call it, company. you may call it virtual, but it's really basically what I call the best costing way of, of building something or having an organization because, yes, we can, you know, get a large warehouse again like we had, but that's not necessary because we don't need to have that warehouse. We just need to have our pallets in, and our pallets in a place that we can receive stuff, we can um, basically ship stuff out of, as well as a um, get a, a group of assemblers that can put our products together when we need to assemble products for clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think the uh, unique marketing advantages that you have? Well, we actually have a, a couple. One of our unique marketing advantages is the fact that we have our own software, XRP. So it's not somebody else's software we're trying to you know customize or do something with. We have our own software. It's hosted. Companies can just sign up for it and give it a try at xrpsystem.com. Another one of our unique advantages is my book, because that way people get to see some of the knowledge or some of the expertise and see if that can help their business as well, too. Well, we haven't talked about your book. Uh, tell everyone what the title of the book is. The title of the book is called The Consumer's Workshop, The Future of American Manufacturing. Um, and what this book's about is we looked at how manufacturing in the U.S. came from the workshop of the craftsmen that would get the material, uh, put together the product and do the sales and marketing and distribution of the product, then it migrated to those that could get enough capital to bring new products to the marketplace. And now where it's moving toward in the future is we as manufacturers have to build agile manufacturing platforms and give our, our users, our consumers, a tool, this consumer's workshop, where we give them a, a way of designing what product is going to work for them with the strength that we can manufacture them. So that's no, what the no. consumer's workshop is all about. There's a lot of use of the word agile in the IT community, agile programming. Uh, I've even heard it in the advertising agency world. Why don't you tell our listeners what you mean by agile? Well, agile means um, somewhat configurable or reusable or even maximizing the reusability of something. So where that came from is, I'll take you back to my P&G days. Mm-hmm. What we really did there is a tremendous standardization and uh, systemization effort at P&G. So we kind of looked at what was at the state of, of baby care at that time. And so we decided, that, you know what, we need to have um, fewer parts in our system that had wider breadth, that were able to be globally sourced. And then we started really blow, um, rolling that up into sub-assemblies, major assemblies, and complete assemblies. So then we started moving our engineering workforce, more configuration engineering, 
away from this clean sheet of paper. Because clean sheet of paper engineering, it really starts costing your company um, money. So it costs you profit to just give your engineers a new way to just do every new project. But you have to compensate them in order to reuse because that's where you get the maximal, uh, maximize your profit in manufacturing, where you get your engineering force to reuse what you've already spent engineering dollars on creating. So what you're doing with the, you begin with the end in mind, and the end is maximum reuse. So you start designing components that can be maximum reused, be it you a quick disconnect here or there, or a different interface you're really looking at and saying, okay, how can I put this on, instead of just one machine, multiple machines? So in terms of software, agile software, how can I build these software modules to a point where I can use them in multiple cases instead of just this one specific case? So it's just a matter of thinking. You just begin with the end in mind. So think about, okay, how might I want to use this? And so therefore, how should I design all the interfaces for this to be able to use it in those cases? So begin with in the mind, and that's how you can get something that is very agile, reusable. Okay. And in the book, you're talking about American manufacturing. So that would be agile in the sense of building a, a gear, let's take a simple gear, with a certain number of teeth, and you can use that same gear in multiple products. Yes. And what we teach some of the manufacturers about is, with our systemization and standardization processes, really kind of look at what they're doing in terms of what parts do I, I need. And in many cases, what, what takes place is you really start cutting down on the number of items that you have in your inventory, which actually saves you a lot of money because this one part that you may use once every three years, do you really need it? So is there a similar part that you can use in uh, two machines versus this, then two different parts you're using in uh, two different machines? Is there one part that you can use in three machines or four cases instead of just four separate parts? So we help manufacturers look at their inventory, what they're doing in their products, and how to do modular products, and then even work on the design. So therefore, it helps them really deliver those products much faster and be much more profitable with those products because as you start buying even more of, of one item, you get price discounts. So I may only been using, you know, uh, two of these kind of parts every year before, but now if I kind of... Uh, redesign my system where I'm using 10 or maybe 25 of these in a year, I may get a per-price discount. So that's also brought, giving me profit in my organization, a certain delivery function, and that helps me move forward in my organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that uh, Sony tried to, is attempting to do in the electronics world, reducing the number of parts well, uh, and reuse them. And it just simply m makes a lot of sense, especially when you start looking at your inventory carrying costs and how much tax you're paying on inventory that you keep in the system, as well as when you start going to building. Because one thing that costs a lot of companies when they finally start going to assemble their product is not having something in inventory. So when using much more of uh, fewer items, you typically have those things in inventory more often, more readily, which stops a lot of these building delays, and all those building delays of your products cost you money. Good. Uh, again, Ben has agreed to take questions. The number is 646-595-4916. Uh, let's hear a little bit more about uh, Ben's book. Do you want to lower your operating costs, increase speed of delivering orders, and boost profits of your manufacturing operation? Well, stop managing by trend, such as with Lean Manufacturing, Six Sigma, 
and now the Lean Six Sigma, and get a better understanding of where manufacturing in the U.S. is headed. The book, The Consumer's Workshop, The Future of American Manufacturing, provides an outlook of where U.S. manufacturing is headed, as well as recommendations for how to position your company to win now and in the future of this global economy. Get your copy at theconsumersworkshop.com. Once again, that's theconsumersworkshop.com. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Ben Moore. Ben, does your company have salespeople today, or are you using the web as your salesperson? Well, what we do is... Um, we have a variety of what I call relationship managers, so that's what, what we kind of term salespeople are. But really, every one of our people that interacts with a customer is involved in sales, pure and simple. From customer service to the programmers, you're really involved in sales because what your customer is doing, you're interacting with that customer, and that really is a sales function. Now, as you say, leveraging the, the web, what we also try to do is leverage some affiliate programs as well, too, to kind of drive people to sign up for XRP to give us a trial and then go from there. Okay. What do you mean by an affiliate program? Some people might not know. Well, with our affiliate program, uh, we'll have XRP affiliate programs with CPAs, chambers, et cetera, where we may give uh, their members a, a discount when they sign up for XRP, and then we may share some of the revenue that their members or clients are paying for XRP with that organization. So we are focusing more on affiliate programs than actual direct sales. Okay, makes sense. Um, do you see any obstacles in, in the way of uh, you building your company? There are always obstacles. That's why persistence is the key. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the obstacles is what I call the noise in the marketplace. So there are a variety of companies out there with a variety of products that a customer may not know how yours is different or not. And really what it comes down to the bottom of the day is cutting through that noise and try to understand that customer and help resolve their problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think the possibilities and opportunities are for your products in the market? Oh, they're tremendous. Uh, there's a major company we continually work with over the last couple of years of really trying to help them in their capital equipment purchasing, and that can be a tremendous opportunity for our company um, to um, to scale because there will be so much um, transactions going through this type of network, as well as a number of companies will get a chance to, to help with XRP, our, our system for sales contact management and inventory and production management, to help uh, manage their operation because U.S. manufacturing is on the rise. You'll see a number of reshoring. So there's a reshoring initiative that we were um, a, a sponsor of or a, a small sponsor of that just went on a couple months ago because what's happening is nowadays are a couple trends. 
A couple years ago, a lot of companies got enamored by this low per piece price that they thought they can get overseas. And mm-hmm. so they try to take mm-hmm. some of their manufacturing overseas. Sure. And so what happened over the time is um, the wages, like wages in China, have been growing at, at 10 plus percent per year, mm-hmm. while the U.S. wages have been flat. The shipping costs have been increasing for shipping stuff from China back, um, back over to the States. Mm-hmm. What also some companies ran into is longer uh, innovation cycles because now when you have your production going on overseas, you have less chance to interact with your client. So if you have a client need, so instead of being able to work very closely with a, a local firm where you can get this, this into your products, now you have a much longer cycle because now you have to work with your overseas supplier, get that into their mix. And so, therefore, your competitors have been responding to your customers um, much more, much faster, and potentially been taking some customers. And last but not least, some cash management issues where before something shipped from overseas, it has to be paid for, and it may be another thirty days before you actually receive that the product. Yeah, you're paying um, for a whole container plus shipping before yeah, you have it. Yeah, exactly. So, therefore, you have cash tied up, and not to mention some of the quality issues that that arise because. I think on average they did a study that it took about five batches before it was up to par quality that I mean people were receiving um, from some of the overseas suppliers, and that costs money. And so how some companies decide to, to kind of accommodate for that is they can no longer do just in time because they couldn't trust it. Then mm-hmm. they had to also add essentially additional quality inspectors to actually inspect the materials coming in. So, therefore, they increased their costs. And so now many more companies are doing reshoring because – I think the study by a major consulting firm was by 2015, the U.S. was going to be at par in some costs with um, um, companies like, with countries like China because of their rising wages um, and other things and the relatively stagnant wages of the U.S. workforce. So there's been a, a, a number of manufacturing facilities that have uh, made the call and start pulling some of their reshoring, bringing some of their work back overseas. Um, as well as some others that have bought it from some over, um, further overseas countries like China, et cetera, and Africa, and moved it back to Mexico. So this is the trend we're going to be seeing. So manufacturing in the U.S. is, is alive and growing, um, and it's a tremendous field for people to get into. Yeah. We uh, we had Dave Darley, uh, who used to be the CEO of Convergys on the show a few weeks ago, and he's now competing with Convergys with an onshoring of customer service jobs. He calls it education at work. And he is using college students to handle customer service calls here in Cincinnati for callers from all over America at a wage rate or cost to major companies, which is comparable to offshoring that customer service work. Onshoring of manufacturing makes a, a lot of sense the way you've explained it. Uh, my son, and, and it's, it's reshoring. Now the term they call it the reshoring. reshoring. They're bringing it back because before they have uh, offshored uh, a variety of work, and now they are reshoring a variety of work because the U.S. is very productive and very cost competitive when you look at the total cost uh, of doing something globally. So total manufacturing, cost, yes. manufacturing is growing in this country, and we just hope to help manufacturing continue to make sure their operations are as efficient and productive as possible so they can peak globally, not just compete, but win globally. Yeah, and my son, my son-in-law's company does almost all, if not all, of their manufacturing in China, and he's one of the guys that gets stuck going over to China several oh, there's, times. There's, a, there's year. a variety of, I mean, from China, Africa, India, well, they, um, they, they've Russia. Had have, there, there's a variety of companies that, um, even Latin America. There's a variety of companies that people have offshore too, but 
What we're seeing right now is the, the manufacturing index that manufacturers continue to grow, and more and more manufacturers are bringing work back um, to the U.S. shores. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they've had to have native Chinese employees full-time over in China to watch the factories to get the quality up because that's an issue. Yes, it has been. And as I tell people, you know, so if you want to put some, if you want a brand new pump for your chemical plant that may go boom, where do you want that pump, where do you want that pump built? And you know, overwhelmingly, it's from the U.S. who want that pump built. If you want to put a brand new uh, uh, hip inside your body, where would you like that hip to be made? All around the world, made in the U.S. stands for quality. Simple as that. Yeah, we have, we have in the Rotary Club uh, the owner of uh, Gusher Pumps. Okay. And American-made pumps. Yes, I mean, even when you're building plants in China, people still want to subscribe to those those American-made pumps where they understand the quality they're going to get, especially in issues what I call it, no boom. Well, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense, Ben. Uh, What do you think, for your software, your prospects are looking for? Are they looking for that uh, CRM piece or the ERP? ERP piece or both. Well, there's a there's a couple different um, cross section of our clients. So we have some clients that have the that three to twenty people. They just want a better handle in their operations. So a lot of the task management stuff that XRP has, where they can track all the tasks that the people need to do and make sure things don't fall between the cracks and get alerted when things are are um, things have been missed or about to be missed. Mm-hmm. So we also have another segment that wants to buy us primarily for our sales contact management. So they have a dedicated sales force. They want to track the activities of their sales force to maximize their productivity and their sales. So there's another subset that, that buys for that. Then there are small to mid-sized manufacturers. So there's less manufacturers than general companies that they may have some issues with their inventory or production or some of their operations that they want to get resolved. And so with XRP, we can help them even structure some tools. But first and foremost, with any kind of process, we don't even recommend software for the process. We recommend getting the process right. So there's many companies that kind of go out there and say, you know what, I have this problem. Let me get some software as a silver bullet. And I'm here to tell you there are really no silver bullets out there. What it is, if you have a bad process creating a bad result, you have a bad process. And good software won't, won't fix a bad process. What good software does is make a bad process go faster. So you get, you know, you get more faster, but a good software doesn't correct bad processes. So first and foremost with any solution is really correcting your internal process. And that is something you do without software, but you really look at your components and the sections of your process and say, is this needed? Why are we doing it? What value is this adding? And that's called value stream mapping. We're really kind of mapping the steps in your process and say, and justifying every existence of every step that you're doing. And so, so, so have you built a process to allow people to convert to your CRM software from Salesforce, Microsoft, or uh, ACT? Yes, we do, because we import their data for them free of charge, and they, we even do that just in the 30-day trial, because simply put, we don't believe in actually selling. I mean, when people use a system, if it's right for them, they'll keep using it. If it's not right for them, they won't. Mm-hmm. So that's why we offer them a free 30-day trial. We'll import their data into the system, let them um, use the system, and see if it's a good fit for them. Now, getting back to some of the other segments that we, we cover for inventory, production, even e-commerce and work process, so we work with our clients to understand what, they, what their needs are. And so there's a variety of modules in XRP. 
So there's the base with the sales contact management and the task management and some of the service tracking so you can, your sales can put in, okay, I made 50 calls a day, I had this number of meetings, send out this number. So you can kind of track those, um, those numbers mm-hmm. through the system. And then there's other modules you can turn on XRP for the inventory management, for production management, for some of the scheduling, for some of your major resources. What kind of price range does it cost per user per month for XRP? Just for the base, it may just be $9 per user per month for XRP. And that's the sales contact management, the task management, the base. Then for inventory production management, e-commerce, the full works, it may be somewhere in the $500, $800 per month range plus the $9 per user per month. Oh, okay. So there's a one-time fee for the bump-up. No, that's, that's, a, that's monthly. a monthly. That's a so, monthly. So monthly paying $500, $800 for all the modules of XRP plus the $9 per user per month for your users. Okay. So so the user that only needs a CRM is going to be paying you 9 bucks a month Correct. as opposed to the $49 a month over at Salesforce.com. Yes, but we don't try to just win on, on just price. What we really found is why we win is service. Because you won't get the same level of attention that you will over there from our shop. So we help our clients with their data, structure what they're doing, import it into our system, and use our system to get the maximum benefit out of our system. So we tend to win on service. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Uh, do you have any write-ups uh, on your website that compare your CRM to some of the other major players? I don't really do those write-ups of where this fits versus others. but Feature-for-feature feature comparisons. Well, there are some articles. I guess there are some articles. One thing in our marketing and showing expertise, uh, we have a newsletter that goes out to about 10,000 subscribers uh, that we've been doing for a number of years. So in a variety of those newsletters, it does do some feature-by-feature feature of some products or what companies should look for um, when they look at a sales contact management or CRM system. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell our audience about some of the features that are in your CRM? Okay. Well, with an XRP, what you'll find is a system that you can enter in all your prospects and customers, and then also every single project that you work with those uh, uh, prospects or customers, and and keep notes for every single contact that you and every person in your organization have with them. And what this does is it really allows you to sell more to that customer and much faster, shorten your sales cycle. Because now you may know that Bob spoke to him a couple weeks ago, six months ago, Sue spoke to him about something else. And so now you're able to look at that whole contact history, that, that whole contact history you've had with that customer, and be able to move much faster instead of, well, we talked to him about the same issue that you may have, someone else may have spoken to him in your company. Also allows you to fo- every follow-up task. So if you need to um, send them something out, you can add that as a follow-up task, and the system is going to track and make sure that follow-up task got completed. So it's going to keep that in front of you and alert you of that follow-up task. Also, it allows you forecasting. So now with all these opportunities, you're thinking when they're going to close and what their probabilities are, what their amounts are. Now you can really start looking at your forecasting saying, okay, well, I have a decent amount that's closing four months from now, but that uh, three months from now, there seems to be some, some drop-off from what's going to close. So two months may be decent, three months are not, and the four-month forecast is looking okay. You may then put some extra effort into pulling some of those um, month, um, sales are going to close in month number four forward into month number three. So it allows you some forecasting. It allows you some tracking so your salespeople can put in how many calls they made or how many contacts they made, et cetera, so you can kind of track your metrics throughout your system. And that's really just the base. 
as well as it even allows you to put campaigns together where you may structure a campaign of how you want to communicate with a customer. So your campaign may be call one, then call two, then some type of follow-up email. So after you've moved past call one, call two, it may automatically send out a, a contact email on a recurring basis. So you may send out an email once a month to them on the first Tuesday of every month, and so it'll send a customized email like it came from you out to the customer. So you can keep that reminder um, going to your customer. And that would be automatic. Automatically. So you're talking to hundreds, if not thousands of customers, automatically in a customized email coming from you to them um, just about their situation. Is so there any you, limit on the size of the number of prospects or customers a customer could put into their CRM for $9 a month per person? No, there is no limit to the number of customers or, or data that you can track within the system. So this campaign feature helps you be more effective, helps your salespeople be more effective, and hence deliver that 43% um, more sales per employee than not using a sales contact management system. That's fantastic. Ben has agreed to take questions. If anyone's got a question for Ben, uh, 646-595-4916. We're going to listen to a couple of messages, and then we'll be right back. Did you know that companies with sales contact management systems have 43% more sales per employee? Say what? I said companies with sales contact management systems have 43% more sales Not just sales overall, but sales per employee. A sales contact management system stores all prospect and customer information, as well as each of your employees' contacts with their prospects, and it stores all follow-up tasks. Wow, I can see how that would really increase sales. Exactly. Sales contact management systems shorten sales cycles, allows you to increase the size of each sale, and allows you to keep your customers longer all leading to 43% more sales per employee. So, if you want to increase sales at your company, try XRP, an online sales contact management system. It's available free for 30 days at xrpsystem.com. That's xrpsystem.com. Simply sign up through your Internet browser. There's no software to download, and you can start increasing your sales immediately. What's that website again? That's XRPSystem.com. For your free 30-day trial of XRP, an online sales contact management system, sign up today. Company owners and sales managers, are you sick and tired of hiring a salesperson you think is Tom Cruise only to get Pee Wee Herman on the first day of the job? Call me, Mike Roth, 513-646-6523, to stop this from happening to you again. Well, Ben, you're sitting there laughing. You've never hired Pee Wee Herman thinking you had Tom Cruise, have you? Well, I I, I won't quite say it, Tom Cruise versus Pee Wee Herman, but uh, I've hired some people that uh, really couldn't sell. Or let's just say they chose not to uh, deliver the results. But that's why I always really kind of stress with the metrics. So there are certain metrics. So as owners, we have to put processes and systems in place to help people be successful such as the scripts they use when they contact people, such as the right people they're contacting with, the right message they're contacting those people with. And so by, by them doing the work, they get this end result of a sale. That's right. That's right. In Sandler, we say it takes behavior, attitude, and technique. Behavior are the things that you have muscular control over. Picking up the phone and dial, going out knocking on doors and, and seeing people and getting no's, that's all behavior. Let me ask you a uh, another question here, Ben. Uh, can you tell tell our listeners about a complex problem that you encountered at one of your companies 
with with an equally complex solution. In, in our world, we've got the, the thesis that simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Therefore, if you want to solve a complex problem, you have to have a equally complex solution. Maybe you can well, tell us about a complex problem that you encountered and a complex solution. Well, I believe a little bit differently about the uh, complex problems. I believe complex problems are really a collection of other problems really interacting with each other. So in order to solve a complex problem, we really have to decompose the problem into mm -hmm. a much simpler, if you will, problems so that you can work on resolving each of those simpler problems. Find the component or, parts. Or, or optimizing each of those simpler problems in order to um, so resolve the overall complex problem or issue that's being created in the system. So mm -hmm. that's what I believe. Now, some complex problems that we solve for clients, because meantime, that's what clients call us in for, for uh, solving a complex problem that they've had that, you know, that's driving them crazy, that they need resolved yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so we work to really understand what's going on in terms of work process and really help identify what's causing and contributing to these problems and start working on systems to resolve those. So I'll even say one, quote, unquote, complex problem we had was one of our clients uh, in Northeast Ohio, they were doing all the flooring systems like in Walmart and Target as you, uh, as you come in, and they believe that, well, we tried years ago to try to develop this kind of algorithm to, to try to automate what we needed to do, and it just can't be done. So they asked us, well, see if you can do this, so we might do some work. So I took the challenge. We found a system. We understood what they're doing because essentially they have standard size components that they make, this flooring systems, mm -hmm. and then they have standard size for their risers and dividers. So some go vertically and some go horizontally, and they have ramps and other things. And it has to exactly fit within the recessed well size that they have um, that you, as you enter a store. And so they literally have one or two people dedicated to just creating the drawings and diagrams of, okay, I need to get so many of this size, so many of that size, and make these kind of cuts. And, oh, yeah, by the way, there's only certain allowable cuts that you're allowed to do on these matting systems to, so they can hold their integrity. Mm -hmm. And so that was a complex problem that they had. We initially built a, a an algorithm to make that happen and resolve that. And so then actually developed a full-fledged system for them for now their salespeople can – enter in the field, what is the exact size of this recess well and sort of length and width? Are they going to use these horizontal dividers and uh, and then um, vertical risers? Are they going to use some ramps? And the system will actually build the actual mat before them and show them the actual what the mat's going to look like and then also do the bill of material saying, okay, I need so many of this standard size, then I need so many of this size that gets cut for like this and like that, and I need so many of of these risers and so many of these dividers that get cut like this and like that for them that they use in their, in their manufacturing process. So that was a complex problem that one of our clients had, and we were able to build an online system for them that now their salespeople can use and free up one or two of their engineers to really kind of work on growing their business instead of just maintaining that business because that was a much slower process. They would get an order in, and then they'd have to get on this engineer schedule where he had time to try to use a pass one that he did that was kind of close and modify to get these new measurements that they can send to the floor. And now they can just go to a website, enter their information in, it generates what the drive-in is going to look like and all the customer information so the customer can sign off on, and they can make that sale faster, and that company is much more profitable. And now they've had, you know, freed up a couple resources, engineering resources, that are working on growing their business. Oh, that's a great thing. So you, you created a, a custom estimating so, so we call those estimators or product configurators. 
So it really kind of helps you automate a lot of the knowledge in your salespeople's heads and put in an application where your yourselves can use. So you're taking knowledge out of your engineers' heads, your manufacturing people, what can be manufactured, and your salespeople, and put in an application that your salespeople can interact with your customers or your customers interact with by themselves and get to the answer so you can make that sale much faster. So that's one thing that we've been pushing what I call e-commerce 2.0 for over a decade. Instead of just selling these simple things like cameras, electronics, or, or what have you online, to sell complex products that are configurable. So we'll build a configurator so you can build the product that you need for your situation. Um, it'll show you what it's going to cost and then everything else, and it creates what can be manufactured. So because what typically happens nowadays in a custom product setting is that you interact with uh, salespeople, then it gets to engineering, engineering get, gives feedback after some time, saying, well, this can't be done, that can't be done. And so there's an iterative process going back and forth with the customer. So now what we end up doing is taking a lot of that manufacturing knowledge engineering knowledge, and put it in the application. So now the salesman can work with the customers and come up with an end result that is manufacturable, meets the engineering standards and capabilities, and now you're much faster, so it's cost you much less, you're moving much faster, being more responsive to that customer, and lets you win more and at a higher value. Hmm. Kind of like uh, the color of paint on a car. Well, if originally, a, Henry Ford said you could add any color you want as long as it was black. Well, you'll see, you'll see these product configurators uh, in a lot of things. Now, pretty much every car manufacturer has a product configurator where you can figure what your new car is going to look like so you can see it. I've used some of those, and, and, and sometimes you, you select or I select mutually exclusive options, or I select the second option that includes the first already, and so it takes off the first and says, well, you only need the second if you pick the second. The first is unnecessary takes it out exactly so that's how these product figures are built so be it for um, cars be it for shoes or even some coming for houses um, over in germany they have you can a, custom configure shoes yes a lot of a lot of manufacturers like adidas nike have have sites where you can go on to custom figure uh, figure some shoes just for you for the colors the fit etc there's a, a lot of a lot of them done in this space over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, Germany has more in terms of mass customization. Um, there's body scanners that is more common typically in Europe where you'll go into a, a location and get your body scanned. So as you order custom clothing, those clothes can be uh, built, can be created just for you. And what we help companies do So I don't do have to have the tailor come in and measure my inseam and Not at waist. all. They'll scan, they can scan your body. And now they'll have these measurements on uh, measure in their system. So when you go in and order, I want this shirt, then they can have it tailored exactly for uh, for your measurements. I guess the right neck you. and the right the right right neck, rate. right inseam, right everything for you, Mike. Wow. You know, uh, for, and make sure it has everything that you want and identify what they want. We have the largest custom um, vitamin manufacturer in the U.S. Well, let's back uh, up there with the with, with the men's custom clothing. Who's got that? Oh, there's a variety of companies that, that have that, but primarily you'll see that more in Europe than in the States. Okay, so I have an excuse to go to Paris or London. If you want, or, or Germany, there's a variety, a lot of the research that do a lot of this stuff have been in Germany, but what we help companies do is take a lot of their sales processes um, and their configura configurable product processes for engineering and manufacturing and put into an application to help them be much more successful, much more profitable, operate much faster. That really helps move the organization forward because what happens is as you start removing these, uh, as you start stop weighing down your organization with just maintaining the business, now you allow them to spend more time on actually.
that's when your business can really take off. So if you want to contact us, contact us at xrpsystem.com. Once again, that's xrpsystem.com to see if we can help you. Wow. That's really good stuff. I'm, I'm still stuck on the uh, the men's suit. Uh, I used to buy the Tom James stuff. and Te- Technology is amazing. Now I'm going to have to go to Germany to get the, the, the German well, I'm measurements. Sure, I'm sure there's plenty of companies that are doing that in the U.S., but primarily ones I know about were in Germany because these body scanners were much more popular. And these body scanners, I think, were really the limiting factor because these body scanners, I think, were costing around 100000 each. So for companies that have these and have a tremendous investment for you to come in and get your body scanned so they can have these measurements for you. That's great. That's great. I love the idea. Perhaps you can get... Yeah, run out of time, but we've got a couple of minutes left in the show, Ben. Give our listeners a leadership tip or two. Well, my top leadership tip is always the what they call servant leadership because people want to do the right thing. I fundamentally feel that people want to do the right thing, and we as leaders need to take these obstacles and barriers out of their way. So when people have a problem, address the problem. So what happens in so many places is they demoralize their workforce. So the workforce knows they have a problem, they identify there's a problem, and then the management and leadership of that facility doesn't do anything to, re- to take that problem um, out of limiting the productivity of their people. So the number one thing and leadership tip I always give is servant leadership. When your people have an issue, work to remove that issue, um, remove that issue, remove that obstacle out of their way, because that really unleashes the productivity in your operation. Mm-hmm. Any other leadership tips? Well, that's almost my, my first one, but... Uh, uh, it's the second one is always you have to really live by your own words. So you really have to embody what you're talking about. Um, I love manufacturing. I love my people. And so your actions have to show that and, and how you interact and deal with them and making sure that your people are okay so they can deliver for your customers. Mm-hmm. Do you look at your company as a software manufacturer or as a solution provider? We're just a solution provider because there are times when we help companies, and it has nothing to do with software because we deal with a variety of work processes. Many times they call us, they think they want some software, but our first step is always let's fix the process. And sometimes when you fix the process, now you don't need to have to automate that process, okay? And there's other times that you have to fix the process, and it runs okay for a while. and say, okay, now it's ready to be automated. So there's a variety of times where I'll say software is not the answer, is not the solution, but just fixing your process is a solution because, as I mentioned to many people, people ran many companies before the, there was a computer. The paper and pencil works just fine, but you just have the right process in place. Mm-hmm. So let me see if I have this straight because it's pretty easy. If you're a manufacturer, you should be looking at the XRP software. Some manufacturers should be, but there not are everyone. there are a number of systems. I would say it's not right for every case. But if you're a small to mid-sized manufacturer, if you have some inventory issues, production issues, or want to get a better handle of your business, check out XRP. So this is this is a product really designed for the lower end of the marketplace. Yes, small to mid-sized manufacturers. So you don't have to invest in an SAP system and put $2 million into it. Many manufacturers can't do that, and that's not the right system for them. Mm -hmm. So our system may be right for them if they're a small to mid-sized manufacturer. But also what we try to do is allow them what I call stick your toe in the water a very low entry fee, by them to do a free trial. For, for 30 days, we'll load your data in, they get to use the system, see if it fits for them, if it works for them. That's fair. Why don't we talk a second about your book? How do they get a hold of a copy of your book? They can get a hold of a copy of our book at Amazon.com. Oh, it's on Amazon. That's great. Y- yes, it is. Or they can go to ConsumersWorkshop.com, uh, where they can read a review of the book as well as purchase. 
because I feel there's a lot of information out there that's, that can help a lot of companies as long as they read information because not only do we talk about kind of where manufacturing came from, where it needs to go, but we also talk about the people systems you need to put in your business to really kind of make these things fly because no matter what technology you have in your business, it takes people to make technology work. That's good. Ben, I want to thank you for being a guest here on the show today, and I'm going to be giving you a copy of the newest Sandler book, The 49 Sandler Rules. It's not the newest one. It's the second newest one. It was the number one bestseller on Amazon. In there is a current class calendar and a free training pass. I want you to be a guest at one of our future training sessions. Thanks again for being on the show. Hey, thanks, Mike. My pleasure. Our friend Scott, why don't you take it away? Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.